0: Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida, and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome everybody to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba. Delmer Chilton. Say, Hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you. Glad to see you finally slid down off the mountain. Got, got a little ice and snow off the roads up there, and uh, we're back at it today. We're going to uh, be talking texts and thinking about preaching for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany here in year B. These are the texts for January the 28th, 2024. Um yeah man tell us what you got going on and uh you've recovered and lead us on <laughs> into our good stuff for well, today. Well, you
1: know to be completely fair and and transparent, I never actually had snow where I was. <laughs> but uh you can't go anywhere without cuz it's all up and down different elevations, you know. Uh, basically when it happens like this, you never know when you're going to run into something. And I couldn't get where I needed to go last week I'll to, to say, do what snow, we needed to do.
0: Yeah, I swear you need to go knocks you out just as yeah, much just as the if same. it's so in it's, your driveway. It's, yeah.
1: it's interesting uh, to be yeah. in the mountains in, a, in North Carolina, a part of the South where we're as, not as prepared as we ought to be for the more often snow we get than the rest of the South. So uh, basically our opinion is If that happens, it's a good time to stay home. (laughs) Right. Yep. Absolutely. There's nothing you got doing that's all that important. So, anyway, what we're up to on the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, a reminder that the theme of Epiphany is who is Jesus revealed to be? Mm -hmm. And today, we are seeing Jesus revealed to be a teacher. An exorcist, that is, (laughs) a doer of great works. Um, Throughout Epiphany, as often in these seasons other than the ordinary time, all the texts are are driven by the gospel lesson. Right. You know, the gospel lesson sets the theme and the others are commentary on it. So today you look at Mark and Jesus teaches in the synagogue and they were astounded and they were amazed. Yeah. No content, just astounded and amazed. So he's revealed to be a teacher, and then uh, he does this exorcism. We'll we'll do a little bit more of that, how that, that connection of those two when we do the gospel lesson. But for Mark, um, the exorcism is a way of demonstrating the power of Jesus teaching more than the content, which right. we get more from the other gospels. <laughs> and that, another kind of interesting thing to be aware of as we address this today, is this gospel lesson comes from a section in Mark, this first chapter, 16 through 39, uh, no, 16 through, yeah, 49, uh, 45, yeah, anyway, this section, short section here, in which... There are six different episodes revealing di- Jesus mm-hmm. differently, right? In a very short amount of time, from verse sixteen through I'm having trouble reading it in my handwriting, forty-five. <laughs> sorry. Sure. So sixteen through twenty, he's the person who calls disciples. Today, first of all, he's a teacher who went to Capernaum and he taught. Then the third episode in the midst of this one is exorcism. Then down at the next in verse 29, he goes and heals uh, first Simon's mother-in-law, then everybody they brought. Right. So that's four things. Then at verse 35, he goes out and he prays on the morning. He you know he's a man connected on the mountain with God. And then in six, he instead of going back and doing healing, he says, "We actually I'm a proclaimer. Let's go to the neighborhoods and yeah. claim. in that short time, there's six different little episodes." The way Mark does, it's, you're running the whole time. Oh, yeah. And these, and so, I only do that to say, if you want to understand this text we're looking at, you have to put it in its context, and it's in the context of Mark trying to show us, very, for, in chapter one, this is the second half of chapter one, Mm -hmm. this is who Jesus is, and he sets up these six things. And today, the two are teacher and exorcist, i.e., a doer of great work. So. Deuteronomy, tied to this, is the prediction of a prophet like Moses, which the early Christians saw Jesus as being the new Moses. The Mm -hmm. psalm is praising God and thanking God for doing great works, mighty works, which Christians looked at that psalm and say, Jesus was a doer of great works. Gained renown.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. In, first, in First Corinthians, we have the risen Christ in the midst of community. What does the risen Christ do? He teaches, you know, through the apostolic leaders, mm-hmm. and he brings compassion, justice, bringing people together, and brings unity. That's a mighty work of pulling people together. Where's the risen Christ here? And then in Mark, back in, we have the story in the story, he is a teacher, Mm-hmm and he is an exorcist with power and powers are going to be very important when we get over talking about mark for for mark's gospel For mark the jesus as the power of god is is a pretty important concept so what we've got today the overall theme of the day is who is jesus and jesus is a teacher a new moses who brings God's power into the world and into our lives. Yeah,
0: and I'll talk a little bit when we get there to Mark about um, bringing, uh, you know, a subject like an exorcism immediately. Uh, Many of my listeners are going to go, yeah, I don't know about that. uh, How do we bring what's going on in that gospel into today? Uh, I don't think I have to always make Jesus more relatable, but it doesn't hurt to think about how you take a connection like that and bring it over till today. So, well, got we, a little we, bit on that.
1: We, in the modern in the modern church, most of us, uh, we are post-enlightenment, and so we look at these things with the empiricist and scientific mindset of trying to say, did he actually do that? Yep. and what did he actually do? And and one of the one of he will as you say, the, so that's an important question. If you going sure. to read a text like this, mm-hmm. is know that people are go, sitting there going, "I ah, wonder about that." What what did he actually do? What did that you know, etc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll get there. Yep, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy. Basically, the whole book is Moses' farewell address. Remember, remember that. And basically, hes they're standing on the banks of the Jordan River, getting over ready to go over to the promised land, and Moses is not going to go, and he's trying to say, this is, basically said, I can't go with you, so I need y'all to behave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you're going to obey, you know, obey, everything will prosper, and if you don't, you'll be punished. You know, yeah. that's kind of his attitude. Mm-hmm. And the appropriate response, I think, that like people did, said, but... You have been the conduit of God's will and way to us. Yeah. How what you're not going, you're going to die. What are we going to do? Yeah. And he says, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such prophet."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, he um, and
0: And he's holding them accountable because there's a promise alluded to here. This is the thing you said that day when we were back at the mountain and that we'll follow the voice of the Lord or we'll die and so on and so forth. And so there's no getting out of this by saying, but Moses, we've always trusted you. What if the others aren't the voice of the Lord? Yeah. So he's he's kind of both holding them accountable and giving them some assurance. Well, this is how God's going to do it. Yeah
1: yeah and traditionally the office of the prophet so this was taken by the israel israeli mm-hmm. people the hebrew people for for most of their time as being the office of prophet mm-hmm. not a particular person right the office of the prophet and the prophet stood between god and humanity mm-hmm. spoke for God to people and spoke for the people to God. I remember when I, I first learned to do liturgics in the uh, Lutheran church, most of the churches still had what we called the walter, the altar against the wall, you know the <laughs> I meaning So yeah. and and the technique was when you turn, had your back to the congregation and were facing the altar, those were the times you were speaking for the people mm. to God. When you turn from the altar, either at the lectern, the pulpit, or standing in the middle of the chancel and talk, face the people, you were speaking for God gotcha. to the people. Well, this is that between role, mm-hmm. mediator role. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, it was important that uh, the, me- the person, the Mosaic type person, reveal God's will. That's part of what his, that speaking and being between, yeah. and, and proclaim. God's Word, and eventually it became interpreting God's written Word, but that was that kind of role became a teaching role. Eventually, uh, some late minor prophets and into the intertestamental period, Deuteronomy 18.15 became not the prophetic office, but a messianic figure who would usher in the eschatological age. This was part of the popular religion among many people when Jesus came was looking for this person that fulfilled Deuteronomy 1815. That's this particular prophet. This is why when they're going around and saying, John, the are you Elijah? Are you another pro- Who are you? Are you this one? Is what they're really wanting to find out. Are you that one from Deuteronomy 1815? Um... And they, the early Christians, including the writers of the Gospels at times, looked at Jesus and saw in him a new Moses fulfilling Deuteronomy 1815. Mm-hmm. And Mark, doesn't. Mark, unlike Matthew, Matthew often quotes the scripture he sees he being fulfilled. Said,
0: he pins it right back there. Mark
1: alludes. <laughs> so, you know, he doesn't do a lot of scripture. Proof texting, we used to call it. Yeah. But what he knows is talking about how the amazed and astounded and he t- preached taught, taught as one with authority was an allusion to being the prophet who has come to fulfill Deuteronomy 18.15. Yeah. That's why this text is here. Um, I do like the threat of 1820. I think that most of us need to pay it. Who are yeah. listening to this show and proclaiming this show, Need to hear <clears throat> who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak. That prophet shall die. Mm-hmm. I think that should probably be on the, mm-hmm. on the pulpit. Put it right you know. up
0: there as you walk Put it in. Right yeah, up there. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Right beside, sir. We would see Jesus, or okay. sir, or madam. I remember. I think it was Joanne Post. I think's her name. She was. Uh, it's a long time ago, and she was. Back in the late 80s, early 90s. I think that's right. She was the first woman pastor on the pastoral staff at mm-hmm. Redeemer in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. they had had bolted on the pulpit in brass this line, sir, we would see Jesus. Yeah. And the first Sunday, she was scheduled to preach. She got up and someone had put, sir, and then they attached, or madam, yeah. <laughs> we would see Jesus. Yeah. We've so got that, te- says, yeah.
0: We've got that text coming up in Lent, by the way. Uh, yeah, that, and, uh, from John, so the Greeks yeah. coming to Jesus, sir. We would see Jesus. They come find yeah. Andrew. But I the think. reminder,
1: yeah, um, here is not so much to scare those of us who right. try to preach, but to say this is serious business. Right. The one who presumes to speak for God, do not and take it lightly. We, mm. And we, the people, are to measure. Uh, the proclamation, as we hear it. Yep. All right. Psalm one eleven is a thanksgiving psalm. It's very clearly in verse the first verse addressed to the company of the upright. Verse one is a call to worship, and verses two through nine are why do we why should we worship God? Hmm. And then verse tw- ten is the conclusion. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, two things to unpack there. One of is to notice all of these works. If you're not careful, you won't notice that all of them actually end up being about graciousness and mercifulness, uh, covenant, God is mindful of the covenant, mm-hmm. faithful and just. This is that God has done these things not just to show off power, but for kindness, generosity, care, continuing keeping God's people together as God's people, as a people who show to one another and to the outside world justice, fairness, faithfulness. Uh, And so one of the things the early church saw when they saw Jesus and reflected on Jesus in the years after, Psalm 111, they began to read as saying, (laughs) see, this is another way in which Jesus fulfilled who Yahweh has always been, who God has always been. Um, that was a very important thing. Jesus did mighty acts. This ties to the exorcism. You know, this is where Mark is using things like the exorcism as undergirding that Jesus is the uh, mess- messianic figure. I'm not sure, you know, Mark's not on the, any kind of Trinity understanding mm-hmm, right. of Jesus relationship to the Father, but he's real aware that God is active and whatever Jesus is doing in a unique way in right. a special way fulfilling right. way uh the other thing is the fear of the Lord always hangs us up in the modern you know. <laughs> Jesus is our fr- God is our friend, our father. why should we fear God? People say and it is a diff- difficult expression mm <laughs> Um, I will say, at a certain age, I feared my father. Any reasonable person would have. Uh, six three, tough as nails, farmer, who uh, kind of had a a fairly clear sense of what was right or wrong, and which side of that line you were suppo- his children were supposed to be on. Yeah, and a certain understanding of how he was responsible to help us stay on the right side. So there was a bit of fear. But I don't think this is exactly what the, the psalmist is getting at, yeah. not that childlike fear, mm-hmm. but more along the lines of respect and awareness of God's role in the world and in our life. And yeah. the beginning of wisdom is to put ourselves in the proper relationship mm-hmm. to God. Yeah. Uh, and that's not, a neg- that's not a frightful thing mm-hmm. as much as it is a respect well yeah things in right
0: perspective respect and uh, the the old hebrew word that forms this foundation is putting a little distance between yourself and something else because you you could be kind of fearful of it kind of respectful recognizing the difference that other thing over there that's not me and it may either harm me it may help me it may bless me but I'm not going to be too overly familiar yeah. here. And then the idea of, well, this is gaining a, a full understanding of who God is. This is what puts us uh, in the place to receive wisdom.
1: So, uh, a couple of quick things come to mind sermonically, mm-hmm. uh, opportunities. One is the movie Rudy. Some of you may remember the movie Rudy. of oh, Sean Astin, who later became famous in the Lord of the Rings movies as, as uh, Sam. Mm-hmm. But he played Rudy, the undersized guy from rural Pennsylvania who wanted to play football at Notre Dame. And he finally got in for one play and all his efforts to get to play football. And he's sitting in the church, and he's talking to the priest, and he's asking the priest, why is life like this for me? Mm-hmm. And the priest says, I've been a priest for 50 years, 40 years or whatever, and I know two things for certain. One, there mm-hmm. is a God. And two, I'm not him. (laughs) The fear of the Lord is rooted in there is a God and it's not me. It's not me. And I'm in relationship with that God. The other one is Chronicles of Darnia. Uh, Early on, the the children are with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they're discussing Aslan. And they're talking about him being a lion. They said, a lion? (laughs) Is he safe? And Mister Beaver says, "No, he's not safe. He's a lion, <laughs> but he's good, though." There you go. Is is God safe? Mm-hmm. No, but he's good, though.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. That that healthy respect. I'm gonna keep a little. I'm gonna recognize. I'm gonna <laughs> keep a little distance between little me and here. and who God is. Yeah.
1: So, First Corinthians eight one through thirteen. When I was studying pastoral care and counseling, they used to talk about the difference between the presenting issue and the real issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What people come in and say that the problem in the relationship is not the same thing as what the real problem is. Mm-hmm. So, the presenting issue here has to do with food offered to idols, yeah. and you know a little your folk may need a little little historical awareness if you're going to go on this that there were temples everywhere and food got offered to idols and then sold to the public and that was no big deal people ate that food all the time uh it was a way that the uh as a fundraiser for the temples and you know it's the way they made some money and mm-hmm. all this but Then there became the issue of, we don't have a lot of gods. We Christians, we have one God. And is it idolatry on our part? Is it sinful on our part to eat the meat offered to idols? Now, the super intellectual group, the knowledgeable group, were like, well, there are no other gods. Mm -hmm. It's just foolish superstition, and the meat's cheap, and it's good. And it's good. I like the way they cook it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's nothing wrong with eating that. But the Popal, the the weaker brethren, as it gets referred to here, are more along the lines of not so much uh, monotheist as our Lord is the is the important God. But you know these mm-hmm. is it, is it wrong for us to you know worship at these mm-hmm. other gods in these other ways and is eating this meat of taking part with that worship. Uh, we can translate that to some modern times of people questioning whether how appropriate it is to participate in rituals of religions you disagree with, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it it, it comes.
1: How? Uh, what does that say? Yeah. And the question ultimately becomes: How do we balance our individual Christian freedom? with compassion and unity as a community of faith. When we see, you know, are we allow ourselves to be restricted by somebody else's uh, overactive conscience or do we find a way to be compassionate Hmm. toward them? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago Luther's essay on the freedom of a Christian, that famous line of we're free and... Lord Lord of all, subject to no one. We are slave of all, subject mm-hmm. to everyone. Nobody can make us do anything. Right. Okay, you're free to do whatever you want to do. But Christian compassion means we measure what we do by its effect on other people. Yeah. And uh, I remember um, Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary, Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Lutherans uh, technically have absolutely no problem with embodying alcoholic spirits, either theoretically or practically, <laughs> you know. I know a lot of people who theoretically are opposed to drinking alcoholic spirits, who I have noted have no problem practically doing that, but Lutherans <laughs> have no problem either way. Yeah. And uh, we, there was in Columbia, it's now Columbia International University, and in those days it was Columbia Bible College. And we had a share the library kind of agreement, and we got up a touch football game, trying to you know get along with one another. The, the people studying to be preachers, you know, but the Lutherans, were young men mostly, uh, just wanted to flaunt what we call in Lutheran terms, evangelical freedom, and kind of rub. I guess we're trying. Some of them were trying to rub the Columbia Bible College students' noses in our freedom. The idiots brought a cooler of beer to the touch football game with the Columbia Bible College students and quite proudly stood on the sidelines drinking their beer because we can do that. And And, uh, one of the the more famous professors, Benny Biedenbaugh, Mm -hmm. Reverend Dr. Benjamin J. Biedenbaugh, brilliant New Testament guy and just eccentric as all get out. He tore them a new one when he heard about it. <laughs> new Testament professor. I think he used his text. He said, yeah, you can drink beer, except that was the most unchristian thing I've ever heard of, yeah. to treat your guest that way. Mm-hmm. It was inhospitable, yeah. and all, he went on and on about how they were, they were dealing with him. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the core here. That's it, and I don't. Um...
0: Well, and we've been on this in this section of Corinthians, yeah. Yeah. the fact that look, you 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 are not a Christian merely to yourself and you're not in this yeah. just for you and that the the actions we take etc you quoted Luther uh, so yeah. appropriate and I quote Principal Ron Nielsen uh, who may yeah. have been a Lutheran before he married a Baptist woman <laughs> uh, uh, with that name he may well Nielsen be S-E-N yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think we were in fourth grade, and a bunch of boys got in a fight in the hallway, and here comes Principal Ron, settled everybody down. and you boys line up against the wall, and there we were. And all I can vividly remember is his explanation. You can take your arm, and you can double up into a fist, and you can swing it anywhere you want to, but your right to swing your fist ends at the other guy's nose. And, you know, that sort of <laughs> encapsulates it here. I can eat whatever I want to. I can drink whatever I want to, you know. But as soon as it's hurtful to somebody else, whether it causes my actions to be hurtful or it causes their perception to be hurtful, that's a whole nother thing. So, yeah, this is good stuff. There was
1: uh, an ecumenical leader from um, Holland, the, uh, Willem de hooft in the National World Council of Churches, and uh, he came from a <clears throat> tradition uh, in which um, no drinking, no smoking, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. pietistic background. And they was he was leading a delegation of like-minded folks in Greece to after World War II to assess the need for help where the, a lot of war fighting took place. He ended up in this small Greek village and the priest was so delighted to f- have these representatives there. He invited them into his home. He offered them choice cigars, <laughs> which everyone but uh, Dr. DeHouf refused. He took one and lit it and coughed a little. And then the man offered them fine, fine wine. And everybody sniffily refused. And he drank, and they were talking. He knew. That his fellow religionists were peeved at him. And after a good conversation with the man about the physical and the emotional and spiritual needs of the people in the village and the ways in which their organization could help, he got they got in the Jeep to drive off, and he looked at him and said, okay, what is it? And they said, I can't believe you drank and you hmm. smoked. And he said, well, for God's sake, one of us had to treat that man like a Christian. Ooh. Sometimes hmm. compassion puts a limit yeah. on our freedom. That's it. That's part of the core here. And to with our text, teaching goes so far. You get it in your head, but then somehow Jesus has to change. The power has to change your heart, the transforming power. This is what I think Paul is talking about here. You You guys know a lot. But that's only so far. Yeah. Then, then, the transforming power of Christ has to affect the change yeah. in the way and you relate to one another as a community,
0: mm-hmm. calling together. Absolutely.
1: So now we 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 turn to the gospel, Mark one twenty one through twenty eight. This is a frequent technique of Mark's: a story in a story. You remember mm-hmm. the. Raising of the young woman and and the story of the woman with the bloody discharge, the hemorrhage, tucked in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the stories complement one another, as Mm -hmm. usual. As I said earlier, this is in the midst of six stories in this latter half, the second half of this first chapter, of incidents revealing various aspects of who Jesus is. And today, this text has two aspects that are united together from our uh, teacher and exorcist or worker of right. mighty deeds um, reveals Jesus to be one who teaches, and when people hear him teaching, they are astounded. They are amazed. What's interesting here? There's no content.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't now, know Mark, what he taught. Yeah,
1: don't know what he taught. He just he taught, and they were amazed, astounded, mm-hmm. and then later they were amazed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does uh, in chapter three come forth with a little bit more kind of parables that Jesus does. But for Mark, um, the authority comes through the mighty acts of, of God. And the the reason these two things are tied together, you notice in that verse um, 27. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And then immediately... It said, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The authority is the issue. And the power is what supplements that authority. And if you think in terms of the allusion that Mark is making to Jesus as a new Moses, and you go back mm-hmm. to the very first episode of Moses, he goes in and he teaches, teaches the Pharaoh what mm-hmm. he wants him to know. That was unpersuasive, and then there are various mighty
0: acts
1: (laughs) that accomplish the release of the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt. For Mark, Jesus has come with the power of God to heal, that is to release us from the bondage of illness to help us in various situations release us from the bondage of our social position to give life several times to people who are dead to release us from the bondage to death to restore us to our place in God's kingdom so the he throughout mark the issue of power and direction of power uh, so first of all you got one seven, John the Baptist says, "More powerful than I." In three twenty seven, Jesus says, "My mission mm-hmm. is what? It's to bind Satan." That's an issue of power. God is strong enough to overcome what hurts us. There's a a missionary story, and I, gosh, I'm sorry, it just occurred to me. I don't have it in my notes, but a missionary that was in a village uh, in a part of Africa, and he was uh, talking to the people about people being raised from the dead, and Jesus raised people from the dead. And and this one old man said, well, that's nothing. That that happened to my nephew. (laughs) They started talking about it and realized that in that particular remote village, they really weren't clear on the difference between being in a coma Mm -hmm. and being dead. So raising someone from the dead was not particularly good news. They'd seen it happen. So, the missionary was very wise and didn't try to go down that, quote, empiricist route, you know, at this point of trying to teach him the difference between a right. coma and death. But he said, okay, what would be good news to you? And he said, well, something that is more powerful than the forces, and the word language there, forces or demons. Mm-hmm. The demons that oppress me. I think for Mark and the folk he's dealing, talking to, the good news about Jesus is he is stronger than Mm -hmm. the governmental forces, the socioeconomic forces, the physical forces, uh, the spiritual forces that oppress them. This is a liberationist text, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if I you know approaching this whole issue of what is exorcism medically and spiritually uh you know i don 't know how far we I would get and you 're going to talk about that some, but what i i 'm mm-hmm. going to say about it for me is this is a liberationist text right and and the gospel comes to free us from those various forces that oppress us, and they do not have to be for me some supernatural force, they are a force. That we can't see that uh, binds us. Uh, I think we've all been in atmospheres that were like, "What's going on here? These are just people." But mm-hmm. there's anger, there's fear, there's difficulty, there's co- there's economic problem. You know what I? You know yeah. those kind of issues. And where does the gospel come in and exercise those spirits, that spiritual age, and liberate us from gender? Structures and um, sexual identification structures and economic structures and race structures to me, this exorcism is a as a demonstration of the question of right. what does the gospel have to say about the socioeconomic cultural issues that oppress us today, and how are we as the church to line up in relationship to those things mm-hmm. as Conduits of the power of God.
0: Yeah. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Yes. That question is still being asked. Uh, it's very um, much a hot topic in our society. Is Jesus of Nazareth the one that favors one political party over another? Is <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth the one that uh, authorizes these. Uh, churches and pastors and uh all this stuff collect all this money and build these huge structures and do all this stuff and here i am can't feel i mean there are a lot of questions about yep. jesus of nazareth and the people who represent jesus which would be us church right yep. uh but one of the things one of the 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 things we always encourage us as pastors to do is uh, first stop and read through the passage and you know, see what are some of the things you notice first and jump out in my work on the passage this week. I was really drawn to the, the use of the words authority and they were amazed and that his fame spread. Okay. Well, you could say, well, is this just a PR campaign by Jesus? Is there something here our church can duplicate and we can become famous and people will want to come a lot of things. But as I, I thought the story through and just, just as you've done, sort of get inside what's happening, um, I would suggest that the power of Jesus, his teaching is featured. And part of what yeah. carries on here is the fact that um the people recognize an authenticity to Jesus. We're not told what he says. And so I don't know that it's in the actual words, the dogma, the this or that or the other. But there's an authenticity that they they sense and they recognize from the very beginning. When they are amazed uh, at what's going on, I think that there is something going on here about the sincerity of Jesus. He didn't try to make a big deal uh, over this. Oh, here's a big challenge. I'll gather around and he's cracking his knuckles going, I'm fishing to lay a whooping on this one. He just spoke directly to the man. Yeah, you know, so met the need. Represented here as being freed. Um, there's a, a real sincerity to the way Jesus works. And then that whole thing about the fame. Right. I don't think any of us can accuse Jesus of trying to do things just to be famous, trying to build his reputation. But there is a grapevine. That functions in every church, in every community, in every societal structure, uh, even uh, certainly we have a superpowered grapevine known as social media in our time. Things get passed on, and that can be used for great good, or most of the time tends to be used for great negativity. The grapevine, the good grapevine, caught on fire here with the news of Jesus at once, his fame, at once what these people were feeling and seeing and recognizing, that began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. We're going to get stories later in Mark, as we do in the other Gospels. Lots of people came for the healing. Lots of people came. Yeah. Wow, man, I've I've tried everything else. I might as well go see what this guy can do. Not everybody's going to get that, and not everybody's going to get even what Jesus' mission is, but um, we, I think, I'm always wanting to argue for the church to be authentic, to be sincere, and Not to worry too much. It's it's not about how many advertisements we take out in the paper or how many sayings we put on our church sign or how many social media posts we make trying to spread our fame. Let who we are, and most importantly, as we come back to the theme in this season of Epiphany, let it be who Jesus is in us and among us and through us. That begins to spread through the grapevine in our community. I don't know everything they're doing over there, but man, that's some good folks. And man, that uh, when, I, when I was there, and I just—I don't know—I felt like I was closer to God. Those kinds of things are much more important to me than man. They have a great fill-in-the-blank program, or you know, their preacher is—he's just a fine fellow, educated, speaks so well, and you know, cleans up real good. <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> anyhow, right. th- those are some of the ideas I'm floating around. I,
1: nobody has ever said uh, that we got a good-looking preacher when they talk about me. Delmer, you know, he sure
0: cleans up real good.
1: Cleans up good. Um, two things come yeah. to mind as you were talking about that. Yeah. One is a book from years ago by a man named Keith Miller, yeah, Episcopalian out of Texas, who wrote a book, The Scent, S-C-E-N-T, of Love. The primary image he used is talking about this aroma of a bakery at six in the mo- five or six in the morning. You know, you can smell the bread, and you're attra- You know what's there. And he said, "The scent of love is our only evangelism tool." Think back mm. to the text from Corinthians. You know, where they're trying to talk about well, how do yeah. we love one another in sense. So it, it's a whole book about church, that kind of imagery. That Miller did about this, creating a scent of love, uh, an aroma of affection, in your congregation. Tied to that is Rodney Stark, um, who was a sociologist at Baylor, sociologist of religion, and uh, talking uh, one of his books on the early church. And one of the things he he finally said he says there is a kind of a two parter is that people don't care about what you teach until they have become a part of a community and have felt the love. Mm -hmm. They become a part of what the compassionate community. Then they wanna know, why do y'all people act like this? Then they care what you know. And he said the early church, one of the major factors was that in during times of illness, plague Mm -hmm. or whatever, People would throw family members out on the street. I mean, nobody they fled for the hills. And the Christians were the ones yeah. who would take care of the sick and the needy and the widows and yeah. the suffering. And that was what attracted people. What is wrong with these crazy people? Mm-hmm. That they will look after their extended families, but not only that, but strangers?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What is this love? Yeah. This agape, this, this it's aroma, powerful, this community. Yep. And that's the that's evangelism is to create that community with open boundaries. Yep. So that people know who that is, and people can leave or come as they will. Yep. But it becomes a place where that is palpable. Yeah,
0: I like it, Mama. You got the fever. I'm sorry, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Ah. Uh, I hear you, man. Really good stuff, Bubba. Uh, We've got a good run finishing Epiphany and heading into Lent, and we're looking forward to being here. Let me give a couple of reminders, one reminder and one word I just want to share. This coming week, I don't know when you all will listen to this. If you're listening to the podcast before Thursday, January the 25th, want you to remember that we're hosting an open Zoom session on Thursday, 10 a.m. until, you know, 11.30, 12 o'clock, no more than a couple hours of Eastern Time. Somebody asked me to clarify that this week, um, where Delmar and I are going to be available uh, to talk about uh, the upcoming preaching cycle for Lent. Uh, This is not a workshop. This is not super formal. We're going to come with a few ideas, but if you would find it helpful to uh, get together with some other preachers and talk about the challenges and some of the things uh, that will be in those texts, sort of laying out a path for preaching through those five or six weeks leading up to Holy Week, that's what we're going to do. So the link, oh, go ahead.
1: I'm just gonna say it has my favorite word attached.
0: It's free, free, no charge. <laughs> it's just we're just getting together, y'all. Uh, the link is, uh, I think, pinned at the top, but it's certainly easy to find uh, at thelectionarylab and just look there where it says something like. Uh, conversations around Lent or whatever. It's a Zoom link. Be sure you note the password. I'm not going to sit there and let people in one by one. Uh, You'll need the password for that, but looking forward to seeing a few of you all. Um, The other word is, uh, Delmar, I wanted us just to share a, a moment to share the pain and the joy, the mixture that happens when uh, we lose someone that we love. And uh, you and I have had the privilege over the years of working with many pastors, especially those preparing for their first parish. And the members of our second cohort in the First Parish Project lost a very, very dear colleague and a fantastically effective minister uh, this past week, the Reverend Emily Richards, Uh, Episcopal rector uh, passed away. Emily has a husband and a daughter and uh, had a very difficult struggle uh, with cancer at the ending of her life. She's been a brave woman and a brave preacher for many many years and was brave through the ending of of her life as well and so uh, we are sending our compassion to those members of our first parish group uh, to Emily's family her husband Daniel her daughter and the, the the congregation and congregations that she has served and Lord in our in your mercy hear our prayer, our prayer. that's it so thank you all for letting us uh, do that. Didn't mean to end on a necessarily a downer. It's never a downer at the end uh, when it's all said and done. And Emily uh, met the ending of uh, her time here on this earth with an incredible amount of grace. And just thinking of her over the years brings us joy. So yes. uh, God bless. Bubba. I uh,
1: always wondered how somebody so small could laugh
0: so loud. <laughs> She's a little bitty lady. Uh, Yes, just an incredible person. And so laughter fills heaven these days. Not much left for us today to do today, Bubba, other than to invite y'all to join us on Thursday and to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Top of the Morning performed by Track Tribe. We go out today with The Power of Love performed by Huey Lewis and The News.